today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group. Seven tech projects under congressional review. Are agencies doing them in the wrong order? We get liquored up about like the acronym for the system before we've even talked about it. Are we playing by the wrong rules to do those transformations? We're literally talking about applications and middleware and custom interfaces that are based on the way to manage these secure interfaces from a 30-year-old standard. And the clock ticks louder for the end of the fiscal year. You know, we sometimes think it's all about the last few days of September, but I would like to point out to folks that it begins many, many months before. It's Wednesday, September 29th, 2021. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The head of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency is looking for feedback on her agency's new Zero Trust implementation guidelines. Jen Easterly says her agency knows Zero Trust, quote, really is a journey. SIS is taking comments on the guidance through tomorrow. The State Department will roll out a new data strategy over the next three years. The strategy has four goals. They include a data-focused culture, analytics, decision-making, and enhanced data governance. The strategy cites artificial intelligence and machine learning as important parts of its execution. The chief technology officer at the Pentagon is on the hunt for virtual reality and augmented reality technology. Jackson Barnett's tech reporter at FedScoop. He's writing about it at FedScoop.com. Jackson, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. What exactly is Heidi Shu looking for at DOD? Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Francis. Um, what she is looking for is technology that will allow operators to use headsets in environments that they already work in where bandwidth and generally speaking, you know, the environment is not very uh, accommodating for technology. Um, and she wants, uh, be they soldiers, airmen, Marines, guardians, and sailors, to be able to use headsets as an integral part of their operations. Um, and they just can't do that right now with the type of uh, bandwidth requirements that the current technology has. You write in your story on fedscoop.com, devices from commercial industry could help the military realize new means of conducting training and operations, according to Shu. Does that stuff that she wants exist in industry now, or is it is this a call from her to industry to start to come up with this stuff? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, well, there currently are programs in the Army specifically that use commercial technologies. Um, Microsoft is, is a big supplier of them through the IVAS system that they have. Um, but what she's also saying is that uh, what is currently available is great, but they want even better. So she's kind of saying both there that she you know, has some, some pretty big aspirations for what these headsets could do, even though what they can do in commercial industry now is already pretty good. You're reporting that she wants these to work, as you said, in low bandwidth environments. How low is low or do we not know that yet? Well, she didn't put a number on it, but we can assume pretty low based on the type of places that the military currently and recently formally operated in. You know, thinking of your IT infrastructure in a place like Afghanistan is, is fairly limited and places that the military may have to go in the future um, could present similar challenges. Jackson Barnett, terrific story. It's up on fedscoop.com right now. Thank you very much for coming on to talk about it. Thank you.
You can read more on these headlines and many more stories at fedscoop.com. The Daily Scoop podcast is sponsored today by Zoom for Government, designed with relevant certifications and ATOs for the federal hybrid workforce. Zoom for Government offers rich and high-reliability audio and video for conversations to work through complex issues and build rapport across government with mission partners and engaging the public. Learn more at karasoft.com Zoom. Congress is reviewing seven proposals the Technology Modernization Fund Board has awarded. Federal CIO Claire Martorana says the board has applications from 48 different organizations in the federal government worth more than $2 billion. Dave Wintergren's president and CEO of ACT-IAC. He's former chief information officer of the Navy. Mark Foreman is executive vice president for enterprise optimization and transformation at Dynamic Integrated Services. He's former eGov administrator at the Office of Management and Budget. Welcome to my brain trust today, Dave and Mark. It is good to see both of you. The fact, Dave, that these proposals are going to Congress, at least for a look-see, before they become public, what's that say to you about the level of interest on the Hill about spending this billion dollars that they allocated for the TMF? Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be with you both. There is a lot of interest on the Hill. When you set aside a billion dollars for IT modernization, that is a, you know, exponential increase in attention to the TMF, which, as we've talked about before, had like a hundred and some million dollars of projects before that. So there is a big expectation, and I'm delighted to see the first seven projects go forward. Uh, as I understand it, it's a five-day notification period, so it won't slow down the process of getting those projects approved. And so that's a great start, but a billion dollars needs to get spent. As as you and I have talked about before, there's not much going to be an appetite for more money to be expended if we don't get money out the door and that that money is spent effectively because, uh, you know, there's a 90 plus billion dollar year federal IT budget. And so a billion dollars is a good step of making progress there, but it will take more than a billion dollars to modernize the entire federal government. Mark, what will you look at when these come out in the next couple of days, hopefully, uh, if, if this five-day warning period or the five-day notification period holds? Uh, what will you look at as far as the business cases go? You and I talked about business cases for years and years uh, in, in making IT investments across government. Well, assuming none of them are relevant to any of the projects that I'm currently focused on, <laughs> uh, 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 let me take a perspective from this from a, a former Hill staffer that was doing that, that kind of oversight for several years on the Hill. There are a couple things. First of all, the, the, I'm assuming the reports are going into the people overseeing the fund, and those, those are not the authorizing or appropriating committees generally for the agencies that are spending the money. Uh, the first thing I'll be looking for is, is there a point for coordination? Because clearly, if those appropriations and authorizing committees thought there was a need, these agencies wouldn't need to go to the TMF to get the money. They would go to their authorizers and appropriators. So I'd look for closing that gap. There's clearly an issue there. And the second thing I'd look at is uh, the return on investment. And what this uh, really says about the process is you say the business case ought to be clear. The return on investment doesn't necessarily have to be monetary. It could be and it should be an improvement in the outcomes that matter to the citizen. Uh, and I, I think and I'd certainly like to talk more about this. I think we're at a cusp of a shift in that investment mentality away from the traditional project performance measures, which are basically cost, schedule, and meeting milestones, to more of an outcome-based metric. 
and uh, taking hopefully advantage of some of the approaches that Silicon Valley has been using around the, the concept uh, called value stream management. I have to foot stomp there because what uh, Mark said is just so important, right? I mean, I, I think, you know, despite our best efforts, the federal government operating the way it does with a focus on getting budgets approved is not as adept as the private sector at, at sort of documenting why things make sense and the outcomes are going to be achieved. And so I think we'll, we'll all have to see a continued effort to help improve these business cases with this focus on what is the return on investment. I, I know when I was working at the Department of Defense, you know, oftentimes a business case would come in and it would show almost no return on investment or or like 30 years to get a payback. And and to Mark's point, it is about both qualitative outcomes, about mission effectiveness, but but also IT investments should have a return financially. And so um, and, and often the case is because we're not really adept at notice at, at documenting what's going to change. Like, are we going to be able to do more with the same amount of money? Or are we going to be able to, you know, spend less or less humans needed because more automation, things like that. And so this continuing quest to be able to talk about mission outcomes rather than just technology for technology's sake, it's going to be really crucial to get projects approved. Mark, you talked about the fact that the ROI doesn't necessarily have to be monetary. And it strikes me that's probably even more important, uh, a more important point to pursue now that the payback to the fund itself is not as high profile. I and mean, there's a lot of organizations in government that said we don't want to participate in the TMF because we don't, we're not confident about how we're going to pay the money back. We don't know what that looks like. And now that that has been removed, it strikes me that that is something people will maybe focus more on the ROI regarding the technical debt that uh, they can retire as a result of the modernizations that they can make through the TMF and that kind of thing. Am I on the right track there? I alter it slightly. I think that there's too much of a geeky IT focus on technical debt. The, the issue really is the modernization debt of these agencies. And I think the pandemic really showed that to be the case in, in, air, in agencies that were running these um, authentication and fraud check models that date back to the 80s and the 90s. And they weren't useful. We saw this, uh, I think, with, with HUD as well in the housing crisis, that these legacy systems, technical debt coincided to a business process debt. And to get the better outcomes, we've got to modernize these agencies' business processes and their focus for uh, essentially the state of the society and the economy that we live in. Um, I think that's, that's, you know, one of the areas I'm looking at is are we crossing the chasm between this concept of technical debt and the learning agenda that the agencies are putting forward in the program analysis as a result of evidence-based policymaking? Uh, my understanding from the uh, guidance that's been coming out from OMB around evidence-based policymaking is somewhere around the springtime, you know, halfway through fiscal year 22, OMB is going to be meeting with the agencies to say, okay, what activity you actually going to invest in to achieve these program performance improvements that have resulted from two years or three years of research on the learning agenda. That's got to tie back to the modernization of the technology. You can't do technology modernization and not touch the business process. And your choice is, do I pave the cow path or do I 
so customize the legacy, the new technology that it essentially takes away the value of the new technology. Okay, before we get too much farther, Dave, define the difference for me between technical debt and the term that Mark used, modernization debt. And what's the delta there in something like the Technology Modernization Fund or some other vehicle? Well, you know, it's easy to talk about IT for IT's sake, you know, and we often we get liquored up about like the acronym for the system before we've even talked about it. Right. And so there is no doubt that federal agencies still spending the preponderance of their money on maintaining the legacy systems as opposed to investing in the new world. But the but the sort of ripples on the pond expand out to, you know, an investment in technology needs to drive mission performance and outcomes and effectiveness. So it's not just about like we've got old stuff and so we need to replace the old stuff to get newer stuff. It's about the replacement in a way that's going to drive more effective outcomes, more service to the citizen, more national defense, more of those sorts of things. So I think that's the important distinction that Mark's trying to make. All right. Um, you get an award for the first use of the term liquored up in the history of the Daily Scoop podcast, Dave. And I think you deserve some kind of award for that. We'll figure that out on the back end. And a quick note that coming up later on today's Daily Scoop podcast, the end of the fiscal year is Thursday. A look at spending to close out the year with Joanne Wojtek, the executive director of NASA Soup, later in today's Daily Scoop podcast. And our lineup's available ahead of time on Twitter every day. You can follow the show at Daily Scoop Pod. Okay, back to the Brain Trust. Dave Wintergren and Mark Foreman are here with me. Mark, the business processes piece here, how is that tied to the business case, or how should it be if that's something that agencies are not doing effectively now? The way I look at it is agencies have a lot of different transformation activities. Some are management reforms. Generally, when you see business process reforms or use of data, collection of better data, there's always an IT system involved in that. The government is information intensive. You know, fundamentally, so many of the services that are provided in government come back to a decision. Are you in compliance with the regulation? Do you get a benefit? Do you get a loan? Do we guarantee or approve some bank's loan guarantee for housing? There's always a decision involved. And the question is the quality of that decision. And ultimately, if we want to improve the quality of that decision or reduce the risk of that decision, we've got to collect newer data that reflects the societal issues of what's present today. If you look at, uh, let's take the, uh, the, the uh, failure rates on projects, 13% success rate is, is uh, what the Stanish Group, I think, is currently reporting. So if you were to say the TMF got a billion dollars and we expect to have 130 million of that result in success, you, you know Congress is going to have to provide some oversight. Well, how do congressional staffers or politicians know whether it's a good project? And, and I think the way to simplify that message and, and clarify that in the business case is to articulate the commitment of the agency to the performance improvement that's of value to the voters, to the constituents, to the public. And if you can't create that, that line of sight, we used to call it, that cause and effect relationship between what the investment is doing and what the outcome is that matters to the citizen or to the public, then I don't think you really are making the business case. And, 
And if I could pick up on a thread that Mark brought up a few minutes ago, the world is a very different place now. And so the types of solutions that we're trying to put into place need to have a different focus. We live in a virtual world. We live in a world of digital transformation. We live in a world of very different cybersecurity. And uh, so if you look at the first seven projects that have gone up, it seems like the majority of them have a cyber focus, which is absolutely right. I mean, cybersecurity in a world where we all lived in network enclaves was all around protecting the boundaries. But the future world, the world that we're already in is a world of cloud-based, mobile, app-based world. And that's why zero trust is so important. This idea about rather than just trying to spend all of our money to protect an edge, and then once you're inside, you could do anything. This idea about improving identity management, improving data level security, uh, continuous monitoring, all these things that are part of the zero trust policies that the government is putting out are also crucially important. And they have to be baked into these uh, IT modernization projects and not thought of as an afterthought. Connect that uh, thought, Dave, to your credential as the Assistant Deputy Chief Management Officer, where your focus was not entirely IT, but IT as a piece of delivering business solutions, both back office and tip of the spear in the Defense Department. Yeah, absolutely. And you think about particularly in an organization as dispersed as the Defense Department, you have to make a choice with your cybersecurity solutions. The more you lock things down, the more you may feel secure, but you actually you know, create a self-inflicted denial of service attack kind of thing where like good information can't get in and out. And so if you need to be connected to allies and coalition partners, and the next thing you know, the carrier leaves home port and is doing disaster relief in Haiti rather than going to the carrier strike group, I mean, this all talks about how do you make sure that no matter how much I trust the individual or know that that individual is part of my network, that I can still do business and have information flow with them. Uh, what are the biggest holdups to doing that in the modern environment, Dave? I, I, you know, I, my, I bet Mark has an opinion on this too. My thought is that, you know, it's like the, uh, you know, ACTIAC has done a bunch of work on this and you can find the reports that we've done on our website. We've done them in partnership with the CIOs council and it's now part of the federal policies that you know you don't have to start from scratch a whole lot of this is things that companies and government agencies have already been working on how do you do a better job of identity credentialing and access management how do you do the right thing about attributes and how do you do the right thing about data level security and monitoring on your network all these things are things we already know about it's putting the right kind of emphasis on that rather than the way we used to do it. If you even think about the advancements in TIC from the first version of Trusted Interconnections, it was all about how do you reduce your number of internet access points and put monitoring on them. That was in a different world than if you're using commercial cloud providers. And so the evolution to TIC 3.0 is another example. Between that and the zero trust work that OMB and the federal government CISOs and CISA are doing now are good steps in the right direction. Since we're on virtual call, I can I can actually do this. See, Mark, I wrote down TIC 3.0 as the next thing I was going to ask you about. And it's in the context of how that guidance and a, a number of the other pieces of guidance fit together for a chief information officer at an agency where she is trying to figure out putting all of these pieces together into a mosaic that not only makes the agency's network more secure, but also fits with the, all of the, the expectations of oversight that are gonna be coming from the CXO suite, from the secretary suite, and from the congressional overseers that will ask that person questions the next time that person comes to the Hill to ask for money or authorization? I think there are a couple things here. Um, let's talk about oversight and what's kind of screwed up in the whole oversight process. The secretaries, 
the chief operating officers, which are generally the deputy secretaries or CMOs in these agencies, have to make a trade-off decision based on risk. And that is a decision to invest in securing their operating environment. It's not, it's not just the network. It's easy to say, oh, the CIO is accountable because that's technology and the CIO is the tech geek, or maybe it's a CTO in some agencies. But the reality is this is really going to be expensive to put zero trust architectures in place. And just to, to simplify that, systems talk to each other, the application and the database, or one application with another application with a, a database or two databases through messaging. And that authorization to hook those things together, going back to, I, I checked this out over the weekend, 1992 is when role-based access controls were created as a standard by NIST. So we're literally talking about applications and middleware and custom interfaces that are based on the way to manage these secure interfaces from a 30-year-old standard. And now we're going to a new standard that says, I'm no longer trusting just because your role says you should be able to do this. I now have to know you personally using your device. Do you have access to this? Should you be entering into this? And to, to do that, that means these applications huggers that really like their customized application, customized interfaces, customized databases that are insulated from things like evidence-based policymaking and creation of the CDO role. All these decisions that Congress has kept saying since the Clean Air Cone Act, you agency heads have to fix. And then when it doesn't get fixed, the House or the Senate Government Oversight Committee calls up the CIO and says, why aren't you fixing it? And they're not holding the secretary or the deputy secretary accountable for making sure their agency is managed well. Oh, the CIO, that's mission support. Acquisition, that's mission support. And so are we holding the right people accountable for making the tough budget decisions that saying these basic hygiene decisions come back to implications on the budget on programs and the leader of the agency, not the CIO, but the leader has to say to the program, this is part of your health of your, of your program. You've got to address these chronic issues, which are implemented through IT. And if you don't invest in fixing the chronic issue via changing the IT, you're going to bear the brunt of this. Instead, we seem to think the CIO should be held accountable and, and they're almost a bystander in this process. There's a lot more I'd like to cover with both of you gentlemen, but I'm exhausted after hearing that uh, people get liquored up and that there are application huggers in government. So I just have to leave it there. Dave Wintergren and Mark Foreman, thanks very much, gentlemen. Great to be with you. Okay, with you. You can read more about the TMF funding, IT modernization, and all the other issues that Mark and Dave talked about in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The lineup's filling up for Cyber Week, October 18th through the 22nd. CyberScoop has more than 40 events on the calendar already for the Cyber Festival. Lots of top leaders from technology, education, and government will be there digitally and in person. You can learn more and register now at cyberweek.us. 
I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, coming on Thursday's program, the last day of the fiscal year. The head of the Federal Acquisition Service at GSA, Sonny Hashmi, is here. That Daily Scoop podcast debuts Thursday afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. Tomorrow is the end of fiscal year 2021 with lots of uncertainty still remaining about what will happen in uh, fiscal year 2022. People are making last minute buying decisions. Joanne Wojtek's executive director of NASA Soup. Joanne, welcome. Thanks very much for coming on the program. What are you seeing people doing today and tomorrow? What are you prepping for people doing today and tomorrow as they're trying to close out fiscal 2021? Welcome. Well, as, as is normal at the end of September, um, there are a lot of contracting officers being extremely busy trying to uh, finalize those orders that have been going through the mill. And, you know, we sometimes think it's all about the last few days of September, but uh, I'd like to point out to folks that it begins many, many months before. Um, and certainly like August is when we see a lot of the requests for quotes go out, but just finalizing all that, that, that information into actual orders. Yeah, the big push, it's it's a large percentage of, of, of our of our order numbers come through in these last two days. So um, it's exciting times. It's uh, it's nervous times, I'm sure, for everybody trying to make sure they do everything correctly, um, even though there's you know, usually been a lot of prep work in advance. I was joking with you before we started recording that it seems like wherever I've been the last, I don't know, 10 years or so, it seems like just through coincidence, you and I wind up talking close to the end of the fiscal year every year. What's different, if anything, about this closeout of this fiscal year than previous years, maybe because of the pandemic, because of all the money that agencies have coming through, or something that I haven't thought of? Is there anything that's different about this year compared to previous years, Joanne? Um, I don't know that there's that much difference. In that. <laughs> what's, what's an interesting note for me is it's actually one of the most calmer ones for myself. That says more about the staff that Soup has. Um, they are very, 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 very busy and probably stressed out, um, but doing such a great job that it, it, it's um, it's nice to have that situation where where the staff is is well suited. Um, you know, we know what's going to happen at the end of September, and and the staff prepares for it. We, we see the normal normalcy of confusion about how to get acquisitions done and and who who to send money to. I would say maybe less so. Um, it's it's Maybe uh, maybe it's a little calmer out there in the sense that I think folks, we've been around long enough that folks know what to expect out of soup. Um, and so we're getting the orders in as we usually do, but not not as many of those basic questions. Um, and um, again, I think this has a lot to do with, with what, what the soup staff has already done in terms of preparing themselves and our customers uh, for what's happening. Um, so not, yeah, it's always it's always hectic. It's always interesting to see what happens by midnight tomorrow um, when we'll still be open. Um, we, we stay open and, and we'll take every order that comes in and process it before we leave. Um, well, leave. Leave, to, <laughs> leave today means, you know, turn off our computer. Right. Uh, used to be leave the office. Um, so that's a big difference. Um, but we still actually have a meetup at the very end to celebrate the end of the fiscal year. Um, but the ordering itself is, is, you know, seems to be about the normal um, amount. And um, I would say the only difference probably has to do more with more the, this average order size is going up for us um, in general. And I think that has to do with folks understanding that soup has more than just basic products um, that we do have a lot of services available. And, and therefore, the, you know, the order size goes up as you 
get more of those services added to it. What's the mix in products versus services right now, Joey? And is it still running about 50-50? Well, the problem with that question is always, <laughs> what, what is the definition of services? Okay. Um, if you if you include all of the maintenance and warranty, um, you know, it, it's certainly a, a fairly large mix. Um, I think if you're just talking about Excel, ancillary services, um, not so much even installation, but what we're... What, what, what has been added to, what has been increased is services related to products that we added in Super 5, which is anything related to products. So helping uh, prepare for a product to come in, like what you know, what does an agency need to do to do that? What, what do they actually need to buy? What are they going to do with it once it's bought? Ask, answering questions like that, those types of services have increased. I don't have a percentage for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I did notice, um, one thing I, I noticed was that we had two companies um, that I'm happy to see on the, the top list of providers on Soup uh, because they are services companies. In particular, um, I'll throw one out there: L3 Harris. Um, never really big a big deal in Soup. Um, I think some agencies realized we can buy those types of services that an L3 Harris or, or General Dynamics or those companies that that do more than just a product. Um, so we're seeing that increase. It's really hard to pin down exactly percentages there. One of the big problems that agencies and industry are both trying to deal with today, Joanne, is supply chain risk management. You're preparing for an event on that coming in October. Why is that something that you want to focus on, and what is the story behind that event, Joanne? So uh, for a number of reasons, um, the the NASA Soup program has always had a um, played a part in the supply chain world of trying trying to make sure that we provided customers with information about relationships between resellers because we're very much a reseller-oriented uh, contract and, and the OEMs and original service providers. And how do we track that? We've also been involved heavily with a, an international organization called Open Group. Um, and one of their um, key focuses has been um, supply chain risk management. And they have an ISO standard um, that, that they developed um, with the help of DOD and, and as a suit, but primarily industry. Um, that, that focuses on, on supply chain, particularly with regard to for, um, counterfeit and, um, and, and tainting of products. So, so we've always had a finger on that pulse. Um, we've seen so much misunderstanding of, of supply chain. Again, we can't solve the supply chain problem, but we've, we, we've come out with a white paper recently discussing how this ISO standard, for example, fits in with the NIST standards that are out there and the NIST um, um, you know, suggest, uh, recommendations on how, on how supply chain be handled. So taking that one step further, we decided to bring together some of the thought leaders in, in, in the supply chain world um, about um, supply chain. This is our first forum. Um, it will be in the middle of October. Um, we are planning a bigger event in, in the spring um, to, to lead the conversation where are we at? What does it really mean about supply chain risk management? What can we solve? What can't we solve? And, and not just try to find that single answer that isn't out there um, because it, it is a risk management problem. Um, so, so we're pretty excited. Um, we have uh, my, my former boss, essentially, Renee Wynn, former CIO of NASA, is going to sit with me for conversations. I'm excited about that. Um, you have Don Davison, who was formerly the uh, um, DOD CIO's office and helped actually start that, that ISO standard, um, along with uh, folks from NIST and other, other places to discuss uh, where we are with supply chain. And, and you can find information about that on our website, 
um, www.scwp.nasa.gov, and we'll provide you all with a, a link directly to the, the website for that um, that form. Um, so, so pretty, it's very much in line with. Again, our our goal at Soup is to provide information conduit to help our customers understand, you know, what it means to to worry about supply chain. Um, there's a lot of misunderstanding out there about that um, on both ends, on both industry and government, but certainly government folks do not, they hear about it, they know it's important, but they aren't quite sure what it means. Happy to put a link to that in the show notes today at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Joanne Wojtek of NASA Soup, thanks for coming on today. You're welcome. Thank you. The Daily Scoop podcast is available on all the podcast platforms now. If you've already rated the show on your platform of choice, I appreciate that very much. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it. If you haven't left a review or rating yet, today's a good day to do it. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put the show together every day, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The head of the Federal Acquisition Service, Sonny Hashmi, is on Thursday's show. Until then... I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.